Welcome to episode 11 of the Filmumentaries podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Sylvain in uh, episode 10. This episode, I was very fortunate to speak to the guy for behind-the-scenes movie books, J.W. Rinsler. I've been a big fan of Jonathan's work for many years, particularly his Star Wars trilogy books, uh, The Complete Making of Indiana Jones, and his more recent Alien and Aliens books. Jonathan and I were hoping to talk a few weeks back, but unfortunately he had to pull out of the interview on the actual day. Fortunately, he contacted me just this week to say that he'd very much like to go ahead with the interview. I should inform you that Jonathan is not 100% at the moment. He's unfortunately dealing with the effects of chemotherapy, and before the interview he warned me that he had pretty major brain fog. However, he was still very keen to chat and I had the pleasure of speaking to him for 45 minutes about his amazing books. So, Jonathan, you're, you're very gifted at digging through historical material and creating compelling stories. Do you have any qualifications in... in research or history well qualifications in digging (laughs) (laughs) not really i mean i i did my master's in comparative literature at at new york university so there were some there were a few research papers but nothing on the order of what these books require no it was really just uh one of those weird lucasfilm sort of mom and pop things where they said you know we think you can do this Good luck with it. And if you don't do it, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> and how did that first connection to Lucasfilm come about? Was it a job that you applied for or were you approached? No, I applied for it. You know, mm. it was just uh, I, wa- I wanted to work at Lucasfilm. And uh, the jobs at that time, it was just 2001, were just listed online. It was very simple. It was, there was no, uh, or, there were no search engines to go through. It was just Lucasfilm, here are jobs. So uh, I just applied for it. And it wasn't right making of books. It was to be an editor there. And there was a small publishing department with about three or four editors. So um, uh, so I just applied for it. And then it turned out to be to, to, to involve overseeing these making of books. And so then one thing led to another. <laughs> and now here you are with a huge catalog of right. what are regarded as the definitive making of books. Right, which was never anybody's intention at all. I was just hired to be the nonfiction editor. So yeah, so it wasn't like yeah, I was just supposed to do this thing, and one yeah, just there was no nobody had any plan. Uh, was was the initial idea to do the books um, your idea, or was it uh, Lucasfilm themselves had a plan to make them, and then the timing happened to be right, and you were the right person for the job? That that was my idea because I'd done, mm. but I had just done the episode three book. Mm. I mean, literally, I think it wasn't even back yet, but George uh, had read it and he had liked it. So I think I I pitched it, and uh, it turned out, and I didn't even wasn't even aware of this. This is how unplanned it was. It turned out that the thirtieth anniversary was coming up. So then the publisher said, oh, "Okay, well we could." We could do that for the 30th anniversary, and then um, and George approved it. So then that's that's how the first one happened. 
And then the second one followed because the first one made money. Mm-hmm. And was that a daunting prospect then, trying to... Because it's a film that already there was plenty of information out there in the public domain about it. And here you are setting out to make, you know, the definitive behind-the-scenes story. Was that a daunting prospect or was that one that you relished? I think it was more on the daunting side. <laughs> That's why I decided to stick very closely to those uh, Charles Lippincott interviews. I thought I knew that I'm not a Star Wars, wasn't and still am not a Star Wars expert. Mm. I I write these books and I try and tell the story as well as I can, but I'm not an alien expert. I'm not Planet of the Apes expert. Mm. Um, I just try and get all the information and do the best job I can. Mm. And so uh, I just thought that's what I'll do for the Lippincott interviews and, you know, bring in a few things from the outside as necessary, not be too rigid or anything. Um, And then as time for the next books, uh, as I got more confident, I was able to sort of do more interviews and and do more things. I had to go back and do the making of Star Wars again, or if I we did a revised version, so much or a fair amount of information has come to light. you know, so you could you could add, add probably a couple of chapters. Mm. Yeah, you. I mean, you did go back in a way, I guess, with the ebook version. What was the inspiration there? Was it because there was just so much video material that you'd you'd found an audio material that you thought could uh, enhance what was already there? Uh, you know, I think I'm. I was probably talking about it because I would I would be in the film archives, but I'd never really explored the film archives. Mm. But I believe it was the publisher who said, you know, all right, well, let's do it. They were the ones, I think, who said, all right, let's go ahead and do this thing. Because it involved some budget. And um, the way, and we did it. We didn't have, well, we had the right amount of time. It was it was a good amount of time. And that was that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. What what kind of state is that archive in, or was it in when you were there? I mean, is it is it easy to find things? Is it well catalogued? Yeah. Uh, say they had done the best they could with the means they had <laughs> even though it's a big company you know a big mid-sized company or it was at the time yeah um they hadn't spent a lot of time organizing it and some things were probably there that nobody could find so in a way it made it more fun because we were treasure hunting yeah yeah but i wouldn't say you couldn't just say all right well i need the dailies from Return of the Jedi, this scene, you hear the werewolves, which shelf are they on? No, you couldn't do any of that. <laughs> but they were there yeah. all the day. Was... When you were doing that first one, the making of Star Wars, were you kind of aware that if you came across some Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi material, did you kind of make a note of that? Because you thought maybe I might have to do ones on the sequel at that point? Or were you very much focused on the first film? Well, the archives are organized pretty well as as per film you, you, occasionally you find stuff that's in the wrong file but <laughs> it basically but not too much no not not that often no. mm. and when you make these books like as you said you've made them on alien and aliens and planet of the apes do you think having a personal connection to those movies is a is a help or a hindrance i think basically it's a help i mean you don't want to let it cloud your judgment in some way just because mm. You might not like a scene or a character or something 
you know, or have some pet peeve about the movie. Yeah. Doesn't mean it really has to go into the book, mm. you know, unless it, unless there were a lot of other people, you know, whoever fans or people working on the film who had similar feelings. Um, so no, I don't think you, I think it helps and, you know, it helps to bring some sort of warmth to the subject. You, you want people to have fun when they're reading the book. That's the primary, your primary goal. Yeah, yeah. You've ended up sort of by default somehow being a, a sort of custodian of of these films behind the scenes stories because of making these books. You know, I myself have made some behind the scenes stuff and I think as you said before, you know, you go into these projects and you find out stuff that's new, brand new to you. You don't necessarily retain it. Do, do fans still kind of expect you to be this uh like all-knowing entity that has the answers for everything i i don't know i think i've done a pretty good job over the years of saying <laughs> you know i if you want to know what alien that is back there in the third row i'm not the person to ask <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i have no, no idea what guns they're holding i don't know what planet they're on you know except for the large strokes yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, did, I did eat drink and write star wars for 15 years so yeah. i some of it some of it definitely sticks in your mind forever more. Mm. But yeah, otherwise, I'm not that person. Yeah. Were you, were you ever tempted to make a, a video making of at all, given the, the access that you had there and the, the material? The You know, a lot of this stuff was brand new material to a lot of fans like myself who trawled through everything that had been publicly available up to that point. Right. I was very excited about what we found in the uh, archives and and. I did want. I wanted to make a making of Star Wars behind the scenes video. I I was pushing for that for many years and, and made some headway. Mm. Uh, and it, it may actually it may have actually happened, except that George at the key moment George uh, sold the company. That was when he sold the company. Mm. But there is definitely material back there to make a really great making of documentary. And, and I'm sure I'm not, because there's. There's money to be made, yeah, and there and there's material. I'm sure somebody will do it eventually. Yeah, I did hear that the making of that was on the latest Star Wars films Blu-ray release. The direct the documentarian she had 350 hours of behind-the-scenes material from the original trilogy to trawl through. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty tantalizing figure that there you know there's clearly as you say um, enough material there to make something. Um, have you ever come across a situation in making these books where you've had to kind of bury some information? I, I'm not expecting examples here, but has there been any any sort of political edge to any of these that you've done? Um, because obviously each filmmaker wants to control their own story. Right. Not really political. I mean, the, there's political stuff, as, as, if you, as you know, in the books. Mm. So whenever I came across it, I didn't shy away from it. I just put it in there and tried to be as judicious as possible and then mm -hmm. let George decide. And he never, he actually never took anything out. Mm. Uh, in fact, he, there were a couple issues where I wasn't going to ask him about it at all because I figured, uh, better not go there. Really, and yeah. then, but then during the interview, he, he would go there. Mm. So he would flush out a couple Thing, a couple of things on Empire and, and Jedi. Um, uh, there were a couple of personal things that I found that, that didn't go into the books because it, it didn't have anything to do with the making of the films. Yeah, sure. So I find that to be outside the scope. And it's not that kind of book. It's not really that kind of uh, 
looking for gossip. Yeah, not digging dirt or anything. Um, I was fortunate enough to speak to Gary Kurtz a couple of times um, a few years back. Um, and one of the questions I asked him, it was, a, it was an open kind of audience q and I asked him about Marcia Lucas's involvement in the film. And he kind of lit up suddenly and was spoke really enthusiastically about her. Now, her story has been kind of sidelined a little uh, in the in the law of Star Wars but you know you you rightly so mentioned her in your book um, was there a reluctance to talk about or to write about Marsha on on George's part do you think well you know again that's that's where it's pri- it's his private life sure um, yeah but that the, the the divorce is something that I thought he wasn't going to want to talk about mm. and he did that mm. was a subject that he actually did he he uh went into more detail than i thought he would for the jedi book but i but i knew it was a painful area so i just generally avoided it mm-hmm. but i but i knew that marcia was important and uh, i tried to get her into the book as as much as possible not that george was saying no oh, don't get her into the book but i just knew it was a sensitive area yeah and so um when i was doing this book uh, i don't know if you've heard of this howard kazangian book that I'm doing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about it. I actually spoke to Howard uh, via oh. email a few weeks ago. He's going to come on uh, next year oh, and do an interview as well. well so ho- yeah, hopefully. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Time to promote the book. So, yeah, so mm. thanks to the friendship between Howard Kazanjian and Marshall Lucas, uh, we were able to, or uh, he, he arranged for me to talk with Marsha one afternoon mm. in uh, San Francisco, and it was great. It was like being able to talk to the the one person, sort of the one sort of key person who I had questions that I'd sort of been saving up for for a decade. <laughs> so it was, and she was very open and helpful, and uh, also, but not at all. There was no sort of settling of scores or anything. She was very complimentary of pretty much everybody, mm. and 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 of yeah. course, a, a lot of George. Mm, mm. And then you uh, you f- finished your job at Lucasfilm um, around, and that would have been the time that, that Lucasfilm was sold to Disney. Is that no? I, he sold George sold the company in something like because it, you know he, they announced it and it wasn't actually sold till later. So it was 2012, 2013, and I stayed on till the end mm. of 2015. So I was there for the whole gestation of the Force Awakens up to the re- release of that movie. And I wrote that book, which was canceled. Yeah. About, about the movie. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I think you said, you know, what you know and what you can about yeah. why it was canceled and, and so on. It's a shame because it really felt like, um, you know, it, it would have opened up that film and uh, given people an insight into the creative process because that's what your books do. They they uh, they give us that window into Maybe. that world. Um, my... My my young daughter has uh, just discovered my The Sounds of Star Wars book, which <laughs> you also released, which she loves, because just hearing those things in, in isolation really helps you understand the creative process. Did Was that something that followed on from having made those those trilogy books where you thought that material is there, we should do that? How did that come about? No, that one, again, that one was a, one that a publisher was chronicle thought might be a good idea. Mm. And so 
uh, I did some preliminary research and found that that we had these, not only did we have the sounds, sort of the raw sounds, but we had sort of these produ production files that were very interesting, and, you know, long and sometimes had things that were not in the movies. So then, yeah, so we decided to do that mm. book. But I think we should have, I think we should have done it as a more high end thing with a higher, you know, with a fancier looking sound module. Mm. But, you know, we can't win them all. <laughs> well, I've had my my copy of it since it was released and it's still going strong. That's amazing. Um, and we're still getting enjoyment for it. Yeah. That's great. Um, obviously, you know, with, with Lucasfilm, we talked about this kind of state that the archives are in and some of the books that you've written about, some of the films you've written books about, sorry, they don't have an archive necessarily like planet of the apes, for instance. I know myself, I, I work with Fox for a short time, about a year or so trying to come up with a, a making of about the original Planet of the Apes. And of course, because of the age of the film, there's not many people we can still talk to about it. There's information spread across the galaxy, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, that was a very different um, process, I imagine, for you. How did, how did that go? Well, that was a hard one because I had very little time to do it. So I just had to, right. I just had to go in there like, like a, a whirling dervish. I mean, it was... <laughs> crazy because i had to be sort of writing researching interviewing i mean really all at the same time more than i think any other of the books that i've ever done um and i really and that was a passion project so i had pitched i had pitched that one i really loved that movie planet of the apes it, it mm. had a big effect on me as a kid okay so uh i just was it was fortunate that basically the arthur jacobs archives is in you know the la area loyola yes so i spent a few days there that, and mm -hmm. that was hugely important for the book and then there, there was the academy archives mm -hmm. and um, there was a fox archives and then you know and then there was rod serling archives the franklin schaffner archives so it was just a question of mm -hmm. i was lucky sometimes you get lucky and you just it's like oh we know where this is and we just found this and that kind of stuff was happening a little bit for the Planet of the Apes book. <laughs> yeah, it's one. It's the one book of yours that I haven't, that I don't own, and I haven't read because my my project got cancelled kind of unceremoniously. The plug was pulled on it about two days before we were going to go into kind of production on on this documentary. Oh. So I'll get round to it at some point, raw. but it's still a little. It's a bit of a sore point still. Yeah, yeah. still a bit raw. But um, no, I look forward to it because all of those archives you mentioned, you know, we we ended up having our, our toes in each of those archives and we'd found some people that were involved in the films originally, relations of people that were involved, fans, of mm -hmm. course, and effects people that were inspired by it and everything else. I think as well as your books giving us an insight into what happened at the time, I think it's always good to have a record of the film's, the film's legacy. And I guess... In, in the Alien and Aliens book, you, you talk about that a little bit. Were those, I mean, with, with Alien, I found that obviously there's been very, very good documentaries about it over the years. You know, Charles de Lazarica has done some, some excellent work on those. Um, I've talked to him in the past and he feels that, you know, he's kind of exhausted everything. How do you then approach something like Alien and know that there's going to be something fresh 
for you to get? Or do you just see it as because it's a different medium, a book as opposed to a video, that you'll that something new will come out of it anyway? You what just said uh, is true to some, to a fairly large degree. You know, a video can do things that you can't do in a book, but a book can do things you can't do in a video. So, you know, you, you have a you can take longer to make a point in a book. You can you can digress a little bit more. Uh, it's, it's just a different medium. Uh, I, I always hope that I'm going to find something else, but um, and I assume that if the studio is asking me to do a book about it, that there is something else. <laughs> uh, that's been the case every time, except maybe once. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to come to. A, I mean, that's what was nice about episode three. You're coming to a movie. Nobody's. You're the first person doing it. <laughs> that makes it a lot easier in that in that sense, but. Uh, it, it's funny how you can dig down and when you start telling the story, you realize that other people who sort of told the story just tell it in a different way. So I'm sure if somebody could come to each of these movies and go through the same archives and probably tell the story in a, in a different way and, and use slightly different pieces of information because there's so much information, you can't use it all. So you are picking and choosing. Mm, mm. And I guess each, I, I know from making my own projects that each time you release something, something else new comes to light and you think, damn it, why wasn't that there when, when I was doing my project? But that's the reality of it. You release these things into the world and they are what they are and, and right. you move on, right? Right. What then led you to, to making the, uh, the Star Wars comic? Was that, was that after having done all of that research and seeing those kind of alternate paths george could have gone down with the story and a kind of need to you know explain that to people or was it purely like a commercial thing from them they said we need to do this and you're the guy to do it no no it was more the former mm. uh i had read the script and i thought boy this nobody will ever make a movie out of this but it would it just was obvious this is like a great this would make <laughs> a great comic book mm. uh and then uh, as i wrote in the introduction to the comic book I think it's in there it's in one of the it's a deluxe version or something uh i'd worked on this other book with george about how star wars comic books and george had said how much he loves uh visual storytelling when there's just either basically no story no word balloons and so i had asked him once about doing a comic book version and he said no he said nope <laughs> <laughs> direct answer and uh, but then later i found out that dark horse had the same idea randy stradley had read the mm. rough draft you know because anybody could read it and had the same idea this would make a great comic book because mm -hmm. i had no budget for that at lucasfilm oddly enough but dark horse did so i said well if if you can hire a comic book artist i'll, I'll on my own dime write a, a Script, but a wordless script of scenes that I think will appeal to George. And we'll send that over and see mm. if he likes it. Hmm. And so we did. And the artist did a great job. And uh, George then suddenly approved it and got very excited about it. So then, then it was a go. Hmm. But it was not to make money. It was just to do this sort of funky project. We we were never saying that this is a lost masterpiece. We were saying, no, this is this is... This is a, mm. a known <laughs> quantity, but now we're putting visuals to it for mm. fun because it's just so different from the final film. 
It, I, that's the thing, isn't it? I think that's what people find so tantalising about that idea that Star Wars, in a way, is like this perfect storm of all these things coming together. And at any moment, it could have, you know, veered off in in some direction um, from its from its inception all the way up to its, you know, release into cinema. So I think um, that's always going to be interesting to people. Yeah. So, you know, as with all of these books, uh, thank you for for making them. I mean, that was a that was a bold move to to go ahead and try and convince George after he'd given you a, a flat no. Is he is he someone um, when you were working with him? Was he someone that was open to suggestion? Yeah, you really had to really be very careful about when and where you were suggesting anything. But um, I suggested a number of things. And uh, and, I, and I was talking to Howard Kazanjian, who, of course, did it a lot more than I did, because you know, they were having lunch every day, and he was the actual producer. <laughs> but uh, you can suggest things, and, and George will you know, maybe not say anything, but come back you know, later or sometimes the same day and that suddenly your suggestion is happening in whatever world that is. Mm-hmm. And this book on, on Howard Kazanjian, then what form is that taking? Is it is it, um, is it a biography as such or is it a coffee table type book or what form is that going to be? It's just, it's really just more of a memoir, this book. Um, so it's not a coffee table book. It has a fair number of images in it from his collection but it's really just, you know, your sort of standard format, six by nine. Yeah. And I mean, the nice thing about it is it's not just one person droning on about their <laughs> their life. Since I was writing it and interviewed him, you know, I went out and interviewed probably a dozen other people, including Marsha Lucas and, and, uh, and Bert and uh, Sid Gannis and other Lucasfilm veterans. So it's 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 kind of a it's a it's it's like a trip through the history of of cinema from you know the '60s up until present day. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I, I tried to get him on the podcast and he said no, I'm not doing any interviews until the book's out. And then obviously he's uh, he's keen to do interviews, but it'd be interesting to speak to him because I've tried to contact him a number of times over the year because I'm always interested in these unique perspectives of stories that are in the public domain. You know, we think we know everything about a certain film and then we get a different perspective. And I think um, there's great value in, in, in the work that you do. You, you've not only, of course, done um, these books about making of movies, you recently had a, a novel um, released, All Up. Can you talk to me about where that came from, how that came about and, uh, and what the story is about? Yeah, I, sure. I mean, All Up was, uh, for me, the ultimate passion project. It took about, I don't know, depending on how you count it, five to seven years. Um, not all the time writing, but, but more or less constant work on it for that period. Uh, and uh, I just really wanted to write a, a book about the first space age, but not just the space race, you know, which everybody's heard about the space race, but the the space race or the space age really began before World War II and intensified during World War II and then and then sort of blossomed during the space race. And, and a lot of the same people were involved in all three stages. And uh, I wanted to tell their story which, because I realized most people just didn't know anything about it. Again, including myself, I wasn't an expert when I would do it. And I just read, I spent, you know, years researching while I was writing it and you know, before and, and during. 
so anyway, I tried to write a real sort of thriller page turner about that that period and 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 try to bring in stuff that you can't bring into a nonfiction book. I wanted to do it as a novel, uh, you know, what might have happened here or there, or, you know, was did so and so ever meet so and so, or mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, and you because you are you are of an age where you would have seen the moon landing, right? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So that yeah. I, I was born in 76, so I missed that by some years. But I, I always think that anybody, any kid who witnessed that couldn't help but be inspired by it. And that must have been a big inspiration for you in in, in everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're little, whatever, I, I think I was um, 69, so I was probably six years old because it was, uh, yeah, your little six-year-old brain just kind of goes <laughs> you know, explodes, <laughs> and and then years later, you, you the seeds are planted. Years later, that sprout. And you, you know, I, I went to the museum at Huntsville, which is this mm. amazing museum in Alabama, and uh, that kind of was the, the the more recent catalyst. And then suddenly, you're in this ridiculously long project, <laughs> writing way too much. <laughs> 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 and I've read it myself and I really enjoyed it I have to say you know he being here in the UK um the space race was always very much uh, an American Russian thing the Brits didn't have a, a huge involvement but it was always something that I found very inspiring and very you know opened up my imagination let's say and it's probably why I ended up loving the movies that we've already talked about um but has the feedback been been good on the book yeah yeah I think I mean from readers and you know, it's a small print run um, mm. from uh, Simon and Schuster uh, and Permuted Press, but I'm hoping that you know we can get the word out that mm. people such as yourself will say, "Hey, have you read this?" <laughs> mm. Yeah, and uh, because I, 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 I do think it's a, it's a fun book and deserves some attention. And I believe there's a an audio book version of it out now. Yeah. It just came out a few weeks or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm hoping that word will slowly spread, and, and the publisher I know is planning to do some marketing to get to get the word out. Mm-hmm. But so far, I think you know that's what we're up against. That nobody out there really knows this book exists. So yeah, anybody who can write a review or tweet about it is helpful. Yeah, give it give it some traction. Well, part of the process of me doing this podcast is you know. You scratch my back by letting me interview you, and I scratch yours mm-hmm. by um, posting about your work. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's uh, mutually beneficial. Were there any projects that you worked on that deviated kind of wildly from where you first imagined they would go? I mean, because obviously, when you're writing about the making of story, um, adversity can be a good thing to write about the difficulty in making something, and sometimes that story isn't there yeah. um i would imagine but have there, has there been any examples where you know the the result has been completely different to what you initially imagined well sure i mean for the making of episode three i wasn't supposed to write the book so oh. <laughs> <laughs> somebody else was supposed to write the book right and uh i i didn't you know i can't go into details mm. but uh one thing led to another and i so that ended up much, much differently from where I thought it would end up, you know. And I and I resisted, mm. uh, and then you know, because I, I, I thought I couldn't do it, and maybe I couldn't 
do it. <laughs> I think it's a great book. But uh, I did the best I could anyway. Yeah, I guess that um, must have been quite a thing to be there on set with kind of, you know, history repeating itself with Darth Vader returning and all of that stuff. How How kind of aware were you that this was a big kind of cultural film culture moment? Oh. Uh, everybody, everybody there was completely aware. Mm. At that time, there was everybody was completely uh, plugged into the situation and thinking at that time too that it was the last Star Wars movie and all that sort of thing. Mm. It was quite exciting, sometimes uh, quite stressful, other times could be quite boring, and then mm. quite exciting again. Yeah, Mm-mm. every day sort of went through all of those stages. Yeah, all yeah. of those, all of those moments. And what was the reaction? What was your reaction when George ended up deciding to to sell Lucasfilm to Disney? How how did that go down in the Rinsler household? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in the household, we were a little concerned about our future. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the basic gist of it. Mm. Uh, and then, and then I think. It depend, depended which department you were in, but me, per, in Lucasfilm, but me personally, I was sad because I knew it was going to be the end. It was the end of an era. And, um, but also I was excited. I thought, well, Disney is this huge company. I was, a, I'm a big fan of Walt Disney and that, you know, Walt Disney era. I thought maybe there'd be some possibilities there. So I was, you know, mixed feelings, basically. Mm, mm, yeah, but. Yeah, I've, you know, a lot of people have gone through difficulties with work recently, so I myself can uh, empathise with that situation, having had my kind of livelihood disappear in a matter of moments, thanks to uh, coronavirus, as many millions have had, I'm sure. That's Yeah, I know, I know how that feels as well. COVID has not been a friend no. to most people. No. Is there anything about what you do that you think people don't understand <laughs> uh yes there's one there's one thing that definitely people don't understand which is because i get people asking me often why don't you know why don't you do this book or do uh, about this film or this film or this film mm-hmm. and i just i don't get to choose <laughs> yeah it's not your choice yeah yeah not my choice uh occasionally people have asked me to pitch projects but um most of the time you're a hired gun Mm. and you're um it's very hard that's why you don't see too many people writing too many books it's very hard to Mm -hmm. just to have a passion project and bring it from you know your initial enthusiastic moment of wanting to do something to to it actually being on a bookshelf is a long long journey Mm. it takes years for most people and usually that's it. That's their one project. Uh, I've been lucky in that people come to me to do these other books and, mm. you know, they, they turn into interesting projects. Um, I don't, but I don't get to choose which one I get to do next. I can't just say, all right, and now I'm going to do Superman and wave my wand. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that, now that you've said Superman, you know, you're going to excite all of the listeners that are listening to this right. interview. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I completely understand um, that you don't get the choice. But I guess given that you've got this, you know, CV, this resume of all these books behind you, it kind of, your ability kind of speaks for itself. So... 
every time I hear that you're involved in a new project, I get excited because I know at least the quality that it's going to be. And, um, you know, I've enjoyed all of your work and uh, I thank you for all of your books and um, I thank you for giving your time today to, to speak to me. I really do appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jonathan there. I'm sure you'll join me in sending love and best wishes, as well as any support we can offer him and his family in this very difficult time. I very much hope we can have the opportunity to chat again sometime in the future. For the next episode, I'll be chatting to Marty Brennis, a former employee of Industrial Light and Magic. He worked on many of the seminal films that we all know and love, including Raiders of the Lost Ark, Dragon Slayer, Poltergeist, E.T., Return of the Jedi, Cocoon, maybe not so seminal, Enemy Mine, and Back to the Future 2. I'm also hoping to speak to stuntman Ben Dimmock soon as well. He's just recovering from an operation, so hopefully that will be episode 13. Thanks for joining me. As always, if you can support me, please do check out my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Jamie Benning. Any contribution really, really does help, and it means a lot to me. So thank you for those that have stuck with me for all this time. I really do appreciate it. Couldn't do it without you. Hope you can join me next time for the Filmumentaries podcast.